Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. features Ron Wanless, owner and founder of Technology Design Associates. Ron Wanless is a lead systems engineer who's been designing custom electronic systems throughout the Western U.S. since the early 1980s. In 2005, Ron founded Technology Design Associates, a smart home automation design and integration firm with offices in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Nevada, and Arizona. TDA specializes in turning a house into a home by simplifying the control of the many integrated systems within. Ron holds multiple credentials, including designer, installer, and certified outreach instructor, and network certification, all from CEDIA, as well as a low voltage electrical license. Currently, Ron is working on a lighting designer certification through the American Lighting Association. We live streamed this interview on social media on Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021 at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. During our time together, we discussed lessons learned over 40 years in the CI industry, how to build a business model to withstand economic recessions, the importance of updating and communicating price changes to your customers, and the benefit of certifications and credentials in the CI space. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do as well. Let's tune in to the interview with Ron Wanless. Ron, how are you, sir? Good, Ron, how about yourself? And another day in paradise. Uh, actually, my son is sick. I think he has a cold. And my wife just informed me as I walked down to freshen up my water that she's pretty sure she has a cold too, which means I probably have a cold coming on in the next few days. So fingers crossed that isn't the case. Whether you like it or not. That's uh, that I, I just had a call this morning from one of my project managers who says he's been trying to stick it out, but his entire family is sick and his wife said he couldn't go to work anymore because he's he's been sick as well. So it is that time of the year. It is that time of the year. Well, Ron, where, where are you coming to us from? Where are you sitting right now? What city and state? I, I'm in Bend, Oregon currently. Okay. And give our audience a, a high-level overview of your business. Do you do resi, commercial, how many locations? Kind of, And, and what's your role within the company? What I know you're a, a hard worker and you work. I, I think you and I were chatting at a, trying to think of a recent event. Um Maybe it was Nashville when we were there for the Azione event and you were telling me, yeah, Ron, uh, I still work. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but many hours every week as I'm, I'm flying from one location to the next. Yeah, I tell, my, I tell my team that when I finally retire, retirement looks like about a 50 or 60 hour work week would be really nice. So, uh, yeah, I'm typically, I'm still with the way we're building this company. I'm still a seven day a week, nonstop guy. I'm putting in well over a hundred hours a week, but, uh, but it has a, it has a, uh, great opportunity at the end. So, uh, I'm willing to do that. And I really love this industry. I've been doing it forever, uh, my entire life and, and, uh, I still enjoy it to this day. So, uh, it's been a great opportunity. Um, technology design associates is my fourth company in my career um uh incorporated in 2011 
as an opportunity to try and learn from all of my recession lessons and things that I've learned in the past that have cost me situations with other companies. Um, and we currently have six locations, uh, two in Oregon, one in Washington, one in Idaho, one in Nevada, and our most recent one is in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, each of those locations is a pretty small group of people that are doing super efficient work and, and putting out a lot of uh, revenue uh, with a, um, a centralized services team that handles everything other than uh, sales and um, uh, installation and service, everything else, all the back office stuff, all the engineering, all of the all the other things that you can think of that integrators have to do in this business is all handled by our central services team for them. And each of those locations is a small group. Our smallest is two in Ashland, Oregon. Our biggest is only seven people. And that includes uh, managers and project managers and so forth. So, um, so this is a new, uh, well, I say new, it's 11 years old now, but this is my, my latest iteration of my company. Um, and, uh, and growing at about a 30 to 35% clip on an annual basis. So wow. uh, we're still continuing to do that. Is that growth happening organically, Ron, or is it happening through acquisition or both? Or what's the desired growth model there? It's a combination of both. So um, the first four locations were all organic. Uh, the last two, the Reno, Nevada and Phoenix, Arizona, were actually acquisitions. Uh, they weren't planned acquisitions. I was fine where, where we were with the four. And uh, they just happened to drop into my lap and there were opportunities I didn't want to pass up. Uh, actually, the Phoenix one uh, was kind of pushed through a little bit by me because my wife and I decided we wanted to winter in Arizona. And it was an excuse for me to buy a house down there and, uh, uh, and open an office in that area. So, And it's a great market. Um, and it can use more uh, good high-end companies that are not uh, just doing the basics. So it's working out well. What's the split resi versus commercial across your locations? So five of our six locations do almost uh, 100% luxury residential. Uh, and then our Reno, Nevada location does probably about 40% of their business is actually commercial. The rest is luxury residential. So uh, they were one of the acquisitions and all of that commercial business came along with the company when I acquired it. I, I I'm tempted to go into this business model, but I'm going to put a pin in that and we're going to come back to it because I, I want to learn more. Sure. Um, I, I've, I've got some some questions written down. But before we go there, Ron, I want to, if we can, go back in time. Uh, tell us about your start. How, how did you end up down this path that has had you in this industry for 40 plus years? Uh, well, let's see. As a, a, as a uh, high schooler, I decided to join the military because I was bored and needed some some structure. Um, when I went into the Air Force, I went in in electronics because I really enjoyed electronics. Uh, I did avionics maintenance uh, in the Air Force. And when I got out of the military, I was uh, looking for something in electronics, wanted to be in that industry still. The only thing, I was born and raised in the Napa Valley. The only thing going on there electronics-wise back then, you know, everything was wine. So the only thing electronics-wise was an AV company that did a lot of satellite work and, and a lot of custom stuff for all the winery owners and that type of thing. Uh, I went to work for them as a uh, install lead and an, and an engineer. And um, two years later, I bought that company because the owner decided he wanted to move on and do something else. Hmm. Uh, ran that for 10 years down there. And um, in the early 90s, when the construction industry took a crash in California, uh, decided to move my way up to Oregon where everything was growing like crazy. 
and uh, that's kind of it. And then started a new company up here, then uh, went to work and ran a couple of companies here. You know, been through a lot of different iterations up here in Oregon. We've been here for 30 years. So um, uh, this current company uh, happened. One of my big mistakes was was growing too large and getting to a point where uh, one location here in Bend, Oregon, which is a second home area. Um, with 25 employees plus myself mm -hmm. doing several million dollars a year in business, thinking we were doing great, not realizing, you know, that we could do better. And then the tech bubble burst. And when the tech bubble burst, also the second homes in the country decided to stop. And literally most of the stuff here actually went into bankruptcy because everybody had all their money in the tech stocks. So let's go back in time. So this would have been around uh, the boom would have been the late nineties, right? Yeah. That's when the bubble was forming and, yeah, and all the, 2002, right? So uh, when the tech tech stocks just totally bombed, right? Uh, and at that point, uh, we lost $3 million worth of business in 30 days. Mm. All signed contracts, all business we were in the middle of, every one of those clients said, sue me, I'm bankrupt. So uh, we struggled to keep going for about another year. Uh, and then in 2004, I finally had to close that company because it just wasn't sustainable. Uh, there just wasn't enough uh, business going on. So um, I did a couple other things, ran a couple of other companies for a couple of years in between there, uh, and then um, started this company as a sole proprietorship in 2005, 2006, uh, and then we incorporated it in 2011 with the current model. And the objective of the current model was um, to be able to make some really efficient teams and run this central services model behind them and back them up so that, so that in the long run, uh, when we hit the next recession, because we all know there's always going to be another, you know, you get a boom, you get a recession. It's going to happen. Uh, I've been through four in my career already. Some were worse than others. And uh, I want these guys to be a little more recession proof. I mean, nobody's ever completely recession proof, but the objective is keep their team small, make them super efficient, give them all the back, the background stuff taken care of for them so that they're uh, able to survive when, when revenues aren't so high. This model that you're building sounds franchise-like. Is that is that a word you use or or? It's not. It's not a no. word we currently use. Okay. <laughs> however, however, it is a franchise-style model, right? So um, we we built this with the with the um, plan in the end to have a certain number of locations, help those locations become extremely strong, uh, really efficient. And very profitable and once we get them to that point uh, allow the people that i've that i've brought on as the general managers of those locations to be able to buy them back and own them so uh, what that looks like at the end of next year we'll find out but right now that's kind of our that's kind of our plan we're kind of headed down that road where out of curiosity have you already designed other markets or cities that you want to be in and have you how are you thinking about that Honestly, the six that I have have been 100 hours a week for the last four years. So uh, we haven't we haven't um, gone that direction yet. Um, I mean, uh, even Arizona was a was a was an act of accident, um, and uh, and then Reno again, like I said, was one of those situations that just fell in my lap and I couldn't pass up. So you know, there's no there's nothing that says that I wouldn't do another location right now, but we don't have any in the plans until we uh, get all of the current markets financially stable and efficient the way they need to be, uh, which we've gotten about half of them there and the other half were growing continuously. So 
Uh, we suspect over the next couple of years we'll we'll be in that position. And will we get other other locations at that point? Who knows? You know, at the moment I'm I'm pretty comfortable with what we've created now, but there could always be the right opportunity drop in my lap. I might take advantage of that. Got it. So you described how you uh, were you you had some opportunities to learn some lessons in the early 2000s from the tech boom. How did you guys manage the the 08, 09 recession, the great the great recession? So at that point, I was actually uh, just prior to that, I was operating another company. I was, I was not my company. I was running somebody else's. And um, uh, I had taken that company from about 300,000 a year to 2.9 million a year in the two years that I had run it. And the owner didn't want to cut, cut me a piece of the action. So I kind of walked away. Sure. And of course, uh, a year and a half later, they were actually closed down. But um, that's when I started um, working on my own. And uh, so during that time, during the recession was actually a great time period for me. I was, I had no employees. I was a, I was a one man band. I didn't do any install. I subcontracted all my business. I sold, engineered and programmed. You probably actually made some money. I actually made some money. Didn't, didn't last long (laughs) enough, but I, but I actually made some money. It's probably my most profitable years ever. Um, And, uh, uh, and then the recession ended. And I had some great subcontractors that were doing great work and everything else. And they all said, wow, we're really busy now, Ron. You're not quite our first priority because you get discounted rates. So we'll get to your, your equipment eventually, but not right now. And uh, so that doesn't work for my clients, right? We deal with luxury clients. They don't, they're not going to wait around for me. So um, at that point, I had to make the painful decision to start hiring employees again. Uh, and that's when we created this new model. And that was... Uh, that was a long, a long process for me to decide how do I do this and actually survive the next recession, so I don't have to go through the 2002 uh, troubles I went through again. And um, and I think we've I think we've come up with some great ideas. We've obviously learned lessons along the way and improved this process as we keep growing. Uh, but we've done a pretty great job over the last 11 years, uh, going from you know a small less than a million dollar company to an $8 million company expected to be somewhere between 12 and 16 in the next three to four years. So. Wow. Well, so it sounds like you're, when you look into your crystal ball and you look forward, you see some good years ahead from the economy standpoint. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of economists and a lot of other people who are talking about uh, how things are going to be in the next eight to 10 years. Not so great, but up until then, uh, we should expect a, a pretty good boom in business. And I think with the pandemic, you know, over the last two years, it's opened a lot of eyes to a lot of people about their residents, right? And we're a luxury, luxury residential company. So uh, a lot of these people are, are setting up their homes to be, you know, their place to be all the time with their family and, and doing all the things they want to do uh, because they never know what's going to happen next. So that's been the big, that's been the big push. And I suspect that's going to continue. Um, certainly for the next four to six years, uh, maybe further. Uh, but, it, you know, at some point or another, I think we're going to see that downturn come back. This can't go on forever. Uh, and when that downturn comes back, we're hoping that the business model that we've built here pays off and all the efficiencies that we've built in are going to uh, make it, re- you know, recession somewhat proof. Nothing's ever proof, right? I, I was at the... Uh... So here, I actually just, I see the brochure on the floor. I'm going to grab it. <laughs> we, we, we were at this conference That's last week. 
the total tech summit and they had uh, a a economist that you you and I both heard speak and you know when she talked about the 2030s so we're talking about you know 8 8 years into the future she made it sound pretty scary and it was maybe the most scary I'd ever heard anyone talk about sometime in my lifetime from an ec economic standpoint. And she gave a lot of reasons. She she listed like eight reasons why it's going to be scary. Yeah, they're a, big, they're a big company. And um, and that is definitely the worst outlook I've ever had anybody give us. Um, so, you know, looking forward to that, you have to be concerned about it. And they're saying 2030 and beyond, they're talking depression. I've never heard anybody say depression before. Uh, so they're yeah. saying severe recession at that point. Um, and so, you know, we're a little concerned about that. We'll be, you know, we'll be watching that moving forward. We try to, you know, try to project at least a couple of years in advance of where things are and what we're seeing in the future. And, and I'm in enough meetings with people like that where I'm getting feedback with economic indicators and all the leading edge stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, people in this industry should take advantage of what they can now and build in their efficiencies, make as much money as they can and, and put it away because there's going to be a point in time when we're going to, when we're going to run into those issues and, and you got to prepare for those things. They, they do happen and they've kicked my butt more than once. Well, so back to your, your language or your theme of recession proof, a recession proof business, or maybe a recession fortified business. Yeah. What, what are some of those? Yeah, proof is too, maybe too strong a word, yeah, but yeah, you know, right. fortified, we'll run with that. Okay. Uh, what are some other ideas that maybe those that are listening may be able to take this idea and run with it or pull that thread? Um, ideas that you've learned from your experiences to, to make a business better fortified yeah, so, again? You know, the, the big thing for me is, is there's a lot of business for us right now. Everybody in this industry is absolutely swamped and turning away business because they can't possibly do it all. Uh, most of the people in this industry are looking at that as an opportunity and they're saying, well, I'm just gonna hire a bunch more people so that we can get it done. The challenge to that is that when it's not so busy, all of those people is a huge expense. Um, the thing that we tried first is let's make all of the people that we have super trained and super efficient so that we're not losing uh, a lot of time with them. You know, so we've increased our efficiency significantly, but the ultimate goal is somewhere between 60 and 75% efficiency out of your employees, which is unheard of in this industry. But if you can accomplish that and you can get your people to where you're billing for 60 to 70% of the time that they're out there, um, I, that, that's going to make a huge difference in your, in your um, business uh, versus just saying, well, I need four more people. How about you take on two more people and you make everybody else on your team more efficient and find all the processes and, and all the other things that are going to do that for them um, so that uh, you're not eating 60% of their time every week uh, because they're coming into the office and hanging out for an hour before they get out into the field or because they're driving from the office to a job site instead of going straight to a job site and things of that sort so that you can improve those efficiencies and and getting the absolute most out of your team, making your people love their job so that they're doing more to improve the company. Those type of things are going to be absolute changes in your business model uh, to where you don't necessarily have to find all those people because they don't exist nowadays. 
we're all looking for people. And I mean, we have a pretty efficient group, but we're still looking for six more people and we can't find them. Yeah. R Randy Stearns uh, at that same event gave a, a great talk along this theme of, you know, hiring people isn't necessarily the right answer to solve this, um, the current state of affairs. And he was, was speaking along many of the themes around efficiencies of workforce. He also described the example of simply raising prices, right? The idea, if you're a $5 million business and if you're netting 10%, then your EBITDA is, is five million or 500,000. Right. Well, if you simply raise your prices 10%, that 500,000 flows right to the bottom line. You just 100% increased your profit and you didn't have to add any labor to your team. Correct. Have you, have you, do you believe, or do you practice such beliefs or during this pandemic, have you had to do some of that as well? I know that many manufacturers have raised prices. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, there's a couple of things that play there. There's, there's two areas for that price increase that are a challenge. Number one, you've got to make sure you don't price yourself out of the market. So you got to be careful how you raise your prices. But that being said, we, uh, we also heard last week, 6.25 is our current inflation rate, and it probably won't end there before the end of the year. Uh, so your labor force is not going to be settled with a 3% cost of living increase, right? Your labor forces are going to be looking for 8 to 10% raises. So if you're not increasing your prices, you're not covering your costs anymore. So there, you have to increase your prices. You have to watch how much you increase your prices. Um, we've done it twice in the last year just to try and keep up with the current challenges. And, of course, equipment prices are a real challenge because – you in our industry, you're making proposals for a job today that you don't even start for three months, and then you're buying equipment six months in, and you've quoted a price that's not um, current any longer. Because manufacturers are rate, if you haven't been through at least two rounds of price increases with manufacturers already, you're a very unique company because you're not doing much in our industry. Because these guys are they are doing what they have to to keep up with the supply chain challenges. Um, that being said you need to have some way to make sure that you offset that in your contracts, right? Everybody's got to have a way to, to uh, ensure that when those price changes happen, you're not getting handed the bill for that and that your customers are covering those costs. What, do you mind sharing just thematically some of those contractual elements that you've incorporated that protect you if and when those prices increase? Yeah, so we have, we have an item in our contract that says uh, prices are subject to change. Um, uh, based on manufacturer retail changes. So anything that we can show an MSRP change, we can make a change in the contract if needed. Um, and then uh, we, anytime that we see price changes, our, our sales team is, is um, structured to where they're looking at those things. Engineering lets them know that we've got a price change coming. And we reach out to the clients and just let them know, hey, if you, if you are gonna still want this product in your system, uh, we better get you uh, this product now. You need to purchase it today, uh, not in three months when we really need it. Otherwise, you're going to have a price increase. So we're pretty diligent about making sure that we let our customers know that those are coming and taking advantage of the current pricing and making them buy that stuff up front so that, so that it's there. Got it. Uh, any, uh, do you have access to any special crystal balls that tell you what's coming in the next six to 12 months in terms of supply chain? 
you know, I don't, I think the next six to 12 months are still going to be a challenge. Uh, what I'm hearing currently is maybe 2023 will be back into, into a, a semi-normal supply chain situation. Some manufacturers are going to be quicker than others, but the reality is with all of the shipping challenges and the trucking challenges and manufacturing challenges, I mean, it's great that all the manufacturing is actually happening now, but how do you actually get it into your, into your location? You know, the, the, uh, the uh, overhead picture of the, of the LA Harbor is, is like, you know, there's no water left anymore. It's full of ships everywhere. That's not going to change anytime fast. Really? I wasn't aware of that. So the, the harbor's full of ships that just can't come to port? Yeah, they just can't get in yet. They just can't get them unloaded fast enough. And even if they get them unloaded, what do they do with it? Because they can't get enough trucking companies to get the stuff moving out of the port. I, I was on the phone uh, just, yeah, I was, I was in a conference just the other day with my friends over at Sonos. And because uh, I was like, man, I'm, in, I'm an industry person. I need to get some ports for my new <laughs> outdoor audio system. And they just laughed at me. Yeah. I was like, all right, when? And they're like, June. Some, <laughs> sometime next year. Yeah. You can't even give me a quarter. Oh, no. Like, no, like that no. Yeah, that's one of our biggest, that and, that and uh, surround sound receivers are two of our biggest challenges. Um, and, uh, and, I mean, you can't find those anywhere. And, and we get back order reports every week from Sonos, but there's nothing in there that gives us any real insight as to when it's really going to happen. And nowadays, manufacturers send you back order reports and they say, this will ship in January and then it still doesn't ship in March. And you're just like, what happened to the back order report? And they're like, well, sorry, it's still, we, we have all the product you need. It's all on a ship in the Pacific Ocean somewhere. And once we get it to the port and get it actually transported out of the port to our facility, we can then tell you when you'll see it. So uh, it's still gonna be ugly for a while. Got it. All right, well, switching, switching gears. Uh, you and I were uh, in Orlando last week for the Total Tech Summit. And then in September, I think it was September. It might have been October. Everything blends together. We were in Nashville for uh, an ASEON event. Yep. And in both of those locations, uh, if you arrived in that city with a mask, uh, I guess you had to because we came off an airplane. But as soon as you you land and start walking around the city, there's not a mask to be found. And, you know, most of Florida, much of Florida, it's where I live in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, certainly in Nashville, there was no mask. And I want to say that was the at that time when we were there that week, that was the hottest city in the country for COVID uh, in terms of new cases. So I'm asking a COVID question. And I know we're all tired of COVID. I'm, <laughs> I'm tired of COVID, although I'm getting my booster on Friday. So I'm, I'm probably not going to be feeling too great this weekend. Um, what's COVID like where you're at and what, how is it affecting business? Well, it depends on which, which location I'm at. Uh, if you're talking about Oregon, California, um, Washington, Nevada, those states are still mandating things. They're still shutting down things. They're still challenging everybody. Um, you know, you're still seeing masks to go indoors. You're still seeing lack of events, those type of things that are still a problem area. And then you go to places like my Idaho location where they don't believe in COVID. They don't think that there ever was COVID. I mean, those guys have never worn masks. So it's pretty <laughs> funny in Northern Idaho. Uh, or you go down to my Arizona location where they knew it was there and they said, screw this. We all know how to take care of ourselves. We'll deal with it. And, and I'm not mask mandating anything. And, uh, and they haven't had masks for 
what it's almost been a year down there. Um, and there no, I mean, there was a point when, when Phoenix was the hottest area in the country and they still weren't making people wear masks. So, um, I think we've all kind of learned that yes, COVID's there. Yes. It's brutal and it sucks and you should get vaccinated if you're comfortable with that. Um, uh, but the reality is if you're not getting vaccinated, you're probably going to get it. And if you're going to get it, okay, fine, get it and get it over with. But I think at this point with the vaccination rates where they are, and all the people who have had COVID, we should be at a point where we're done, right? I mean, I certainly know I'm done. I've been done for a while. But um, uh, that being said, uh, it's still there. It's still tough. And I think the I think the government just needs to get out of our way and and let us deal with it. Do you do you mandate, or is it required, or do you do it by state? Whether your stat, whether your technicians going into projects mask, or or how they kind of handle themselves from a precaution standpoint. Ninety five percent of our team is vaccinated, fully vaccinated, so um, we don't require it. Uh, we do ask. We have a we have a COVID protocol. Uh, we allow the clients to determine whether or not we're required to wear masks in their home. Um, if they would like it, we will. Um, but beyond that, we don't require it. We do require anybody who ends up getting sick to be tested at any given point in time. If they get a positive, we're making them, you know, do the standard quarantine thing so that we're not infecting anybody else. I mean, we have a pretty strong COVID policy, but at the same point, um, we've relaxed it as much as we possibly can without, without, uh, being, you know, a concern for the community. Got it. All right. I'm going to switch gears. So last week, uh, we, we graded your report card. We gave your website a report card grade. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm going to share this on the screen. Maybe, maybe tell the, the audience kind of your, your impression of your grade and so then, went, then I'll share your website. Yeah. Fair enough. I went into this, um, kind of jaded because you guys spent the last year continually, uh, updating our website and getting it really rocking and we're getting a lot of great performance out of it. Um, and I was expecting a perfect score. I was like, there can't be anything missing on this. They did it. So it's got to be great. And it came back with two items missing. And so I, I still got an A, but I was only 115 out of 125. And I was like, what the heck's wrong with this? And then I read it. And I realized that the two things that are missing are things that I'm supposed to do to give you guys the information to finish. Otherwise, we'd have been perfect. So, um, uh, you know, it, the thing that we have found over the last two years uh, the first year being we're not getting anything out of our website. The second year being we need to invest in that and and get one Firefly to rebuild it and start doing some SEO and some marketing for us. Uh, that's turned that digital marketing around and made a huge difference in in our lead generation and what we're getting from it. So uh, that's helped us a lot. But uh, yeah, I think that the uh, that the whole program. Uh, by the way, the 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 talk that you gave on the website and digital marketing was awesome. Uh, I felt like everybody kind of, you saw a lot of guys in that audience going, oh yeah, well, we don't do that. Oh yeah. Are you doing that? No, we're not doing that. Uh, was, was I biased, Ron? Did, did I only you know you were very, you were very, you were very unbiased about the whole thing and just told everybody, Hey, these are great ideas for your website. Not that, not that one firefly has to do them, but they're things that you should do to your website. And I felt yeah. that that was done very well. Um, that being said, I, I know all the guys that, uh, we're, I know all the guys that got the big the big numbers were all one Firefly websites, but uh, many of them, not, yeah, not all, of them. not all of them. There were a couple of one of the one twenties, right? Wasn't your guys's? That was somebody else's. That's right. Uh, That's yeah. right. Yeah. So 
Uh, it's not necessarily uh, everybody, but um, I, I want to stay on this theme of marketing. And Ron, I know that uh, Technology Design Associates, you guys are HTA members, and I I would love to hear your marketing approach because I'm going to say this is a marketing strategy that can be practiced, and when practiced well, it helps you win jobs. Can you kind of talk to the audience about? how why you're an hta member and how that does help you secure new business so i would say it's not just hta although hta has been a big jump for us um you know cedia membership you know i see i talk to a lot of companies that are cedia members they don't let anybody know that not that the public necessarily knows who cedia is but they should know that you are cedia member or cedia certified or things of that sort um hbas home builders associations things of that sort being members and being involved, those are great marketing pushes. For us, HTA was the next step up. We wanted to find a way to differentiate ourselves from just the average installation company or luxury integration company. Um, and HTA is very um, adamant about the way that they vet their uh, members. Uh, you got to go through a pretty rigorous process to become HTA certified. Uh, and it is a certification that makes a difference. And we use their website. Uh, quite often, it's connected to ours. Uh, their budget calculator allows our clients to go in and, and get some pretty high budgets for what their project would be, so it eliminates a lot of the sticker shock. Um, typically, we're not at the level that the budgets come back. We're usually at a lower level, but that's, that's good. At least the clients are prepared for the worst, and uh, then when we come in, it looks better. Uh, but I think that they've done a good job of, uh, first of all, vetting members, second of all, offering information that the public can utilize uh, and and then the finder service allows them to find an HTA member in their area. Uh, we The way it's designed for us, if they go to our website and they use the calculator from our website, we get that information. We've got a great starting point. So that works really well. Now that's, that's very cool. And what I'm looking at right now, the, the budget calculator, Ron, how do you use this? Do you take clients here or do you find that they go here on their own and develop budgets? We get a little of both. So we recommend people go to our website and click on the budget calculator, which takes them to the HTA site and gives them that information. Um, and then we have some that come in and, and say, oh, I ran the budget calculator on the HTA site. This is crazy. I can't spend this kind of money. What, what can you guys do for me? And, uh, and then we'll come back with something that's a little less painful and, and uh, be able to keep them really happy. But, um, you know, the, the HTA budget calculator is really kind of skewed towards the ultra high end. And if you if you click the wrong tab and say you want high end finishes, you just doubled your budget uh, because that's normal if you're going with a lot of high end finishes. But um, it just depends on how they use it. We always tell people it's a great opportunity to start and then we can take you from there. Switching gears over to the, the client care membership section of your website. Can you talk to the, the audience about how you approach after sales service and maintenance? Yeah, so we have an internal team. So there's a lot of, there's a couple of uh, companies in, in our industry now that are doing 24 seven service for dealers. Uh, in our case, we, we were, or I was developing that process at the same time most of those companies were developing them for themselves. So we have an internal team. Uh, we have a, a, ser a remote service department that actually handles all of those calls. Uh, and they're resolving about 82% of the um, incoming calls for any service. 
without rolling a truck. So um, again, back to those efficiencies that you run in your company and being cookie cutter and making sure you're using the same products and the same processes all the time uh, makes it easier for you to be able to do remote service and not have to be on site unless something's broken. Uh, so our internal service department handles that. We have a subscription for that so that our clients can be subscribing to different levels and they'll get different levels of service based on that. But never is the level of service uh, a determinant in whether or not we fix their problem. It's just a question of what they get billed for it. So um, our service team has done a phenomenal job. We have two full timers that do nothing but that. And then we've got, I think, seven technicians right now that rotate the after hours phone and take those calls evenings and weekends. Um, and that's worked out really well. Ron, do you find that your 100% of your customers are pitched a membership and they, and I'm seeing here a zero price point membership. So they acknowledge, I'm making an assumption, they acknowledge there's some limitations if they don't sign up and pay. Is that Correct. the strategy there? Yeah. So that's the, the objective is to show them you don't have to subscribe. You have an option, but this is what it takes when you get a, the $0 option. You know, you don't get any priority services. You don't get remote access. You know, people aren't going to be taking your phone call at eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night or on Sunday when the game doesn't work or what have you. Or we might take that call, but it's $250 an hour when we pick up the phone because you're not subscribed. Right. So uh, it, we give them that option. Most people don't take that option. Most of them will subscribe to at least our minimum levels if they qualify for our minimum levels. Our minimum levels are set on size of system as well as the client. So uh, mm -hmm. you've got, you can only have so many devices monitored with our minimum levels. And then from there, you need to step up. But um, we for the last year and a half, we have we have pitched this to every client. And we pretty much get, I, th I think we're getting about a 90% grab rate. And then the first time a client calls on a Saturday or Sunday and asks for a service call and find out it's 250 bucks an hour for the call, uh, they go, oh, I guess that might have been a good idea. Let's go ahead and get signed up for that. So, Ron, we have a comment here from the one and only Patrick Hartman. Uh, <laughs> and he says, uh, TDA Nevada is the best branch. I don't know. Do, do, are you allowed to weigh in on that? I, I, all I will tell you is you can expect another comment coming from my my uh, Vancouver, Washington branch challenging that. So uh, <laughs> the, the two of the the two of them are going at it on a month to month basis, trying to trying to one up each other. But um, yeah, I would say that our our Nevada branch is uh, is our technically our second largest branch because the uh, uh, Vancouver branches has kind of. Uh, overtaken them a little bit, but um, uh, they're both pretty close. They're neck and neck all the time, and they're always beating on each other. So good for them. Uh, nice. And glad to see that Patrick's online. But um, uh, they are—they are definitely our strongest financially and our strongest revenues. No, that's awesome. I want to give a few more shout-outs. Uh, Ellie uh, said, uh, "So great to have you on the show." And then Wes says, uh, welcome to home automation or not home automation, but uh, automation unplugged. <laughs> and uh, one more shout out here. Jessica says, uh, great to have <laughs> you on the show. So, uh, uh, so you scored on that one, buddy. Yeah, we did. She's yes, Je did. Jessica is, is <laughs> awesome. She's, yes, she's managing she our marketing and our corporate programs and all sorts of exciting things there. So in terms of uh, looking forward, Ron, what sort of technologies, and I'll just, I'll, I'll throw out a low hanging fruit, maybe get you to weigh in on it. But if there's others, just feel free to, to bring them in to focus. Um, 
What technologies have you excited as you look forward that are new, new areas for new revenue and new growth? And I'm going to give an example. I see many businesses jumping into lighting fixtures and uh, starting to learn how to spec, how to, you know, figure out the lighting design piece of that. Are you guys doing that and, uh, and or what other technologies are on the forefront that have you excited? Yeah, so um, shading and lighting is definitely uh, at the forefront now. Um, some wellness has started to grow, obviously, since the pandemic. Um, but uh, beyond that, I haven't seen anything that's really blown me away to say that this is the next new thing. But again, lighting and, and shading are kind of, you know, we've only been doing shading for the last few years as far as integration firms are concerned. Uh, and lighting fixtures, we've been doing lighting controls for a long time. So it, it is a natural progression to get into supplying actual fixtures because what's happening is we're supplying lighting controls. Somebody else, is, some electrician is going to Home Depot and buying fixtures and the clients are saying, how come this flickers every time I turn something on and off? Uh, and in order to make sure that those, those uh, clients are getting the experience that they should with their lighting controls, it makes sense for integrators to be supplying those fixtures. Now, just supplying fixtures isn't, the answer. You really need to know what you're talking about when you're talking about fixtures. So anybody who's wanting to get into it, I highly recommend you get all the training you possibly can uh, before you start trying to be the expert uh, so that you're not uh, cutting off your foot, you know, just to, just to get in the door. Um, for me, it's a big thing, a big push. We have not started selling a lot. I mean, we're doing, we're selling some fixtures at this point, only on certain projects. But the thing for me is I'm getting my um, lighting designer certifications because I feel like somebody on this team needs to have that background and knowledge to be able to say, yes, this is the right direction uh, versus just throwing things out there, uh, you know, because it's it's easy enough to get into the fixture business nowadays. But knowing which fixtures make the best sense is really important. So uh, and we'll we'll continue to grow our team and get more people that education as well. I'm kind of the first usually leading those things. Uh, so sometime in the next, I've gotten my my um, associates lighting associates certification, and I've just got the uh, lighting designer certification left, and that's like a six month process. So, which program or organization are you going through to gain that, or anything you want to share with the audience? Uh, American Lighting Association. So um, they're they're kind of the go to for that uh, for our industry at least. Um, there 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 are other organizations but they require years of experience to get certifications out of them. Whereas the ALA is really good about getting you some really solid education, getting you really good at the basics, and then handing you off to get your certification as a designer um, over a period of time. And when you can, you know, you have to show your capabilities. You're basically taking blank floor plans and turning them into lighting uh, designs and handing them in and, getting them graded by some of the best lighting designers in the country. So um, that's the, that's the process. And it's something you can do in a year, right? So um, some of these other programs, you spend three to five years to become a really qualified designer, right? Um, but the ALA has got it set up to where with in less than a year, you can become a certified lighting designer. Got it. Understood. Rod, knowing a lot of our audience are integrators like you, uh, some of them with years less, maybe decades less experience, uh, what's another maybe a, a piece of advice or, or two that you wouldn't mind sharing that you wish the younger version of you had known? It may have, it may have saved you from some pain. 
Um, yeah, uh, don't don't do everything just because you enjoy doing it. Um, everything must have a purpose. Make sure you're the, everything you do in your business is has a profitability capability. Um, you know, I started this, in this business because I love the electronics industry. I've been doing it for 40 years, and I still love this industry. But uh, there's been a lot of things that I've done just because I thought they were cool and I wanted to do them. And they typically turned out to be a disaster in most cases. Uh, make th sure that you are not doing anything that you are not 100% sure is going to be a profitable option for your business. Um, and, you know, don't just jump into something just because it's the next best thing. Uh, because they don't actually turn out that way. I don't know how many how many times I've done in the in the in my years. I've taken on a manufacturer or somebody who said yeah, our stuff is awesome and it's great. And two years later, they're out of they're out of business and it's a proprietary system. And you got a hundred or one hundred and fifty clients out there with something that you can't use, and you're ripping it out and starting over, and you're pissing people off, and you're and you're causing yourself much more pain than is needed. So, uh, and get your efficiencies up. I mean that's. Uh, I preach that all day long to everybody I talk to who asks me, uh, because I think that that's the key to making your business successful is being efficient. You can throw a lot of people or throw a lot of money at a lot of things. It doesn't make you profitable. Uh, being efficient and getting some sort of a process down that makes sense that you can duplicate over and over and over again will make all the difference in the world. Not everything has to be a custom one-off. Yeah, I, I want to mirror that. Um, I've, I hired a, a management consultant this summer uh, that's been an awesome experience the last six months. And we brought him in because he had experience with other marketing agencies, knowing what some benchmarks for performance should be, mm -hmm. or on average what they are. And the reality is uh, at One Firefly, I, I built this business with my, my leadership team and we've kind of built it in a bubble, not knowing what anyone else <laughs> in the world does, just this is what we've built. And there's now we've learned what uh, what can be done from an efficiency standpoint with our 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 labor force, and it was all newfound data for me. And now we're working on ways to to try to approach some of those industry standards. And it's amazing what that can do to your bottom line if you simply better utilize the team that you have. So I'm. Absolutely. It sounds Absolutely. like uh, you figured this out, you know, your way. And I had to hire in an expensive consultant to help us figure it out. But we're landing in the same place. Yeah, but it took me 40 years. So that's true. Uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and, the, and the other thing that, that I was that I spent my first probably 25 to 30 years doing is doing everything myself. So, uh, you know, never letting go of the vine. And, and uh, I'll just wait for Patrick to jump in here because I know that's coming. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, uh, uh, you know, you have to learn that you have to be able to delegate uh, these. Uh, this industry has been built by old technicians that said, I, I can do this myself. And, and we all go out there and we all try that stuff. And uh, you tend to be the guy who's, oh, I need to know everything. I need to do everything. I need to be involved with everything. Uh, I learned many years ago that I don't need to be involved with anything, everything. I can have a leadership team. So I didn't have a leadership. You know, you mentioned leadership team in your in your statement. And I'm like, yeah, well, 10 years ago, I didn't have a leadership team. And it's not that I didn't need one. It's that I refused to get one. And mm. over the years, we've grown immensely based on the fact that I've delegated to different leaders uh, throughout my group, uh, not just my managers in the, in the locations, but also in my central services team and our accounting teams and so on and so forth. And given them the ability to do their job and take over a lot of the stuff that I used to do myself, 
that was being done miserably because I had too many things on my plate. So um, you, there is a point where you have to bring in people uh, and when it makes sense. But otherwise, make the team you have super efficient and, and take advantage of that and take advantage of the great people you already have. There's a, a great book. I'm pretty sure it's, I have a stack of books over here on the floor, about 25 <laughs> books. There's a book down here on the floor called Who Not How. And the, the general theme of the book is you can, uh, you can either yourself or have a member of your team figure out how to do something, or you can inject the expert, go find the person that knows how to do it, i.e. the who, and bring them in, and, and ultimately uh, you can get that mission accomplished in a much more expedited time frame. Absolutely. And so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying more and more to challenge my own personal belief systems and practice more of that. And it, uh, I hear Chris Piper saying, "Let go of the vine, Ron." <laughs> I got it. Appreciate that, Chris. It's my and services manager, so. <laughs> that is, yeah, nice. I, I love that. And of course, I got to throw Patrick's comment. Josh in Vancouver will lose. Just uh, <laughs> let, letting you drop the mic there, Patrick. I, I, I love the uh, competition here. Yeah. But um, awesome, Ron, it has been a pleasure having you on Automation Unplugged, sir. Uh, this is episode 194. I'm going gonna, uh, gonna to thank you for coming on. And then how would you like the audience that is either watching or listening, if they want to get in touch with you directly, what's the best way to do that? So through our website, there's a, there's a connection there. But uh, directly to me, um, my email, which is super long, uh, rwanless, W-A-N-L-E-S-S, at techdesignassociates.com. Uh, they're uh, happy to talk to anybody uh, in our industry who wants any insight from what I've learned over the last 40 years. Uh, or you can call into our number, which is on our website, and ask for me directly. They'll transfer you straight to myself. So look forward to talking to anybody who would like to. Awesome. And we will drop that email, that website, that email, and that phone number. We'll put that in the show comments on social media, both on Facebook and LinkedIn. And then we'll also put this onto our show notes uh, on the One Firefly website. So on that note, Ron, thank you, sir, for coming on the show. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook Live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.